Hello and welcome to the Soft UK podcast. I'm Sonia Sankoli and I'm the Events and Communications Officer for the charity Soft UK, which is a support organisation for families with trisomy 13 and 18 or Patels and Edwards. This podcast today will be speaking and hearing from one of our Scottish families um, story ahead of our annual Scottish Family Day. So I'd like to welcome Demi Powell to um, the podcast. Welcome Demi, thank you very much for um, coming on for, the, for this one. That's all right. It's nice to speak to you. Nice to speak to you too. So we'll just start with a, a little intro of yourself, Demi, um, a bit about your story, about your son Connor and um, what brought you and how you how you got on brought on by Soft to Soft UK. Um so I'm quite an old school member. I've been here for a long time. Um, yes. Yeah, my son would have been 22 this year. Um Goodness. He had full Edwards syndrome. We had a prenatal diagnosis, um, which was still quite unusual at that time. So yeah, people did have them, but it was much more of a kind of 50-50 situation 20 years ago. Sort of half, some people did have them, but a lot of people still didn't. Um, whereas I think they're, mm. they're better now at prenatal diagnosis. Um, so I found out that he had Edward syndrome at my 20 week scan because they spotted some stuff on the scan um, I was only 23 um, and I it, it wasn't a planned pregnancy it was an unexpected pregnancy very welcome but it, we hadn't been planning it so I didn't really know anything about being pregnant um, yeah, I was yeah. just winging it and I think I had absolutely no idea that sometimes pregnancies didn't just result in a baby because <laughs> I just never mm. thought about it because I'd only found out yeah. I was pregnant at 15 weeks so I was still getting used to the oh my god I'm 23 and I'm pregnant um sort of idea and then went from a scan thinking oh we'll ask if it's a boy or a girl mm. and then um where I live I live in a really small um, town in rural Scotland where everybody knows everybody so it was my friend's big sister who was doing my ultrasound oh. which is lovely when you're just asking if it's a boy or a girl and yeah, not yeah. so great when they have to tell you that actually they can see something on the ultrasound um, that isn't great um, and it was nice for me that it was somebody I knew because somebody I've was she aware of it and um, yeah I think she knew what she was looking at yeah um, obviously right. the ultrasound um, I don't know if it's still the same now but in those days the ultrasound technician couldn't tell you anything all they could do is say there's some things on the scan that I want the consultant to have a look at um, mm. and then they put you in a side room and give you a cup of tea and a box of tissues which is kind of an indicator that all has not gone well um, Yeah. So it was nice for me that it was someone I knew but I think pretty not a great day in the office for her probably um, mm. really tricky um, and mm. then the consultant came back and um, told me what he could see and told me what they were going to be testing for. Um, and then I had the amnio right there in the ultrasound. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there was yeah. a lot of stuff that happened 20 years ago that um, practice wise wouldn't be the same now. So like I, I had the amnio. Was it like recommended before. to you to have the amnio or was it your choice? Well, they just said that's what was kind of happening. Yeah, 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 that's what. And they also also tried to book me in for a termination at the same appointment. Um, so it was very much like, 
we think your baby's got Edwards, the next steps to do the test just to confirm and then we'll do the termination. Um, you know, sort of um yeah. yeah. Which and of course I went along with the amnio, but by the time I'd got home and thought about it, I was like, wait a minute, do I have to have a termination? It's like mm. and then obviously started on picking it and discovered that actually no, but it's just the assumption. Um so yeah, so we had um that was all obviously really difficult because I was 23 and I hadn't had much experience of consultants or hospitals or I'd had the odd medical procedure when I was younger but not something so mm. serious and first child and, yeah but I was really lucky because we had a specialist midwife who worked at the high risk clinic so I immediately got you're now in the high risk clinic um and the midwife hadn't been there that day, but they got her to phone me. And she said, you know, I'm Mandy and I'm your specialist midwife. Um, we don't come across this very often, but there is a charity um, that helps people when they have a diagnosis or a potential diagnosis of this condition. I've managed to find a phone number. Would you like the number? Um, and they gave me the number and it was um, Chris Rose's number who oh, is one of the founders of, the of founders, Soft UK. Yeah. Um, and I was really, I, I'm not great at phoning people. I don't really like phoning. Um, but in those days, you didn't have the internet, really. I mean, you could, you kind of had emails and stuff, but you didn't have much internet stuff. Much wasn't online. So I did phone her. Um, and I was really glad because all that stuff about right, you're booked in for your termination. And she was like, oh, no, wait a minute. Like, do you, what, is that what you want? Do you, well, no, you've got a choice. Like, that's, that doesn't have to, this is what you should be asking mm -hmm. for. Um, and of course the hospital had said, these babies absolutely cannot survive, you know, and brought out some medical journal of like 1940s, yeah. you know. Um, and she was like, oh, wait a minute. No, like, you know, and gave me so much more information so that I was kind of like, right, we need to put the brakes on here and um, just slow everything down. Because, you know, they're like, well, you need to make a decision now. You're already almost 21 weeks. And she was like, no, you don't. Like, back that bus up. And that was great mm. because it just gave me the time to actually find out, like, what is this condition? What? what is this exactly, about yeah. what are my rights what are the baby's rights because like obviously when you're pregnant baby has absolutely no rights at all as far as anybody else is concerned yeah. um but actually once it is born it does have rights and and we needed to yeah. work all that out and I live in a really rural place we don't have a big hospital we don't have pediatric intensive care um anybody that has really difficult births will go up the road to Glasgow um mm -hmm. so we didn't have things so if I was planning on not having the termination we had a lot of medical things to make where was I going to have the baby what was going to happen to the baby that kind of stuff um, and yeah. I honestly think if I hadn't found soft while I was still pregnant it would have all been totally different because there yeah. was so much stuff during the pregnancy that I had to work out and find out about that I would have had no clue like, so you weren't given up many were, were you given a lot of support or resources from the hospital that you were with or the consultant so the specialist midwife was brilliant she mm. was really great um 
And she even came in when I was delivering in the end, even though she wasn't due to be on shift. And she was lovely. And she was really good at talking stuff through. And she was also really good at going back to the doctors and saying, look, I've spoken to her. And she doesn't want this. And she doesn't want that. And she knows, you know, and going back to them and being like a kind of middle person. Um, And then I had a big showdown prompted by all the, the information that Chris and Rosemary, who was the professional advisor at the time, so she had lots of medical stuff. So they sent me a load of stuff and I went back in and I said, I want a meeting with the obstetrician and the paediatrician. So we had this meeting and I was like, right, put everything on the desk. And I said, you told me that these babies can't survive. Look at this child. Look at this child. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's not right. And I was like, hmm. So we had this big kind of showdown. I said, you need to go and update your knowledge. This is our medical advisor. She's happy to talk to you. Um, you know, there won't be a termination because I decided that wasn't right for me. Um, you know, it's the right decision for some people, but it wasn't for me. And that's what's important. It's your pregnancy and you need to make your own decisions. And I said, we're not having a termination. Yeah. I don't want to be offered it again unless there's some sort of serious risk to my own health or the baby's health. I don't want to be offered this. Um, this is what we're doing and we need to go from here forward as a team right and that's it and then after that meeting it was fine um so my consultant was really good and when I had my youngest daughter so I had 16 years between pregnancies they asked me which consultant I wanted because by this time I was old so I was automatic high risk and I Mm. asked if he was still there and I had the same consultant for my daughter Um, oh that's lovely yeah so we did get on really well the problem was was that 20 years ago the policies were the policies and I was not going to get delivered in Glasgow I was not I think we managed to argue that we could have had the baby resuscitated but they weren't going to put him in skaboo you know they just it just wasn't going to happen that's so difficult it must have been so um just it sounds like you had barriers throughout the whole pregnancy and you, you were you know you weren't able to focus on what you really needed to focus on no, which was yeah. your baby yeah no you couldn't at all and I was I didn't keep well at all I was really poorly mm-hmm. and um it was just one thing after another and we only had such a short time because I hadn't known I was pregnant early on yeah like, the whole majority of my pregnancy was once we already knew so I was in and out of hospital it was just it was rotten mm-hmm. um and pretty stressful but the thing was because I already was part of soft by that point I wasn't on my own so there was other people Mm. who were pregnant Um, I joined um, so Karen Schuler in Australia she runs soft Australia well she did at the time and she had some an online message board now this just wasn't a thing back in those days you know it was like so rare and she had this online message board from people all around the world and there was people on there and some of them had babies some of them had lost their babies and some of them were pregnant like me now I'm still friends with those girls you know 25 mm. years later kind of thing um and that was all you know it, it, it got you through it you know you didn't mm-hmm. you weren't on your own anymore and then I was really did lucky. you meet many Scottish families um back well then? the so when I was still pregnant the English family day was taking part taken place um, and I must have been 
like eight months I think pregnant so I managed to I actually went to the English family day first even though I was in Scotland just because I was so desperate to meet people um yeah so I went down to England first and um there was a wee girl called Annie Dudney um who had full Edward syndrome and she must I think she was about nine seven maybe at the time quite big and I went down there with my great big bump and she was sitting on my knee and we took a photo. I was good friends with her mum, Jane, and um, we took a photo and I took that photo back to the paediatrician who had told me that it was physically impossible for these children to survive. Mm. And I think they still hadn't believed me even when I'd shown them photos. You know, they'd been like, oh, that's a really rare case, you know. You know. And yeah. I took all these photos and, and Saskia was there and a few other young people. Um and I think maybe even Chris's son was there in those days. And I took the photos back to the paediatrician and said, there you go, there's me in a photo with a child with Edward syndrome. Um, yeah. And, and it kind of blew them away. Um, and then I met Liz, who was the Scottish rep at the time. Um, mm. And she told me about all the families in Scotland and stuff. I don't think I'd met any of them apart from Liz before I actually had my son. Um, in the end up, he was still born at full term. I'd been due in for a planned section on the Tuesday and on the Monday, I felt him stop moving. So I went in and they checked and, and he'd gone. But he, in the end, um, what had happened was his umbilical cord had failed um oh. so yeah which is just bad luck and can happen with any pregnancy um mm, exactly yeah and and um we also found out years later that i actually have a condition an autoimmune condition which can cause heart block and umbilical cord failure in pregnancy um oh. and it happens to lots of people with my condition so when I had my daughter 16 years later I was really my umbilical cord was measured the whole time to check that the blood flow was still going um mm -hmm. and she ended up being an emergency section so it might be that actually what caused the stillbirth wasn't his Edwards at all it was my mm. autoimmune condition but in those days you know I wasn't well. diagnosed and um, so it was mm. just a total freak thing and obviously I'd stayed in touch with Les and um, the Scottish Family Day was the September of that year, and Chris used to come up for it as well. So I knew Chris, um, and they kind of supported me to come because I lost him in the June, and it was the September, and I was an mm. absolute like mess. I was not. A, oh not... yeah, and you were still twenty three. That's very young yeah, to deal with all these emotions. Not a pretty bereaved person at all, and 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 Chris would tell you we talk about this. Um, often because you know we're still friends now and um, I was just like I was so angry like I was just mm. furious I think because of the like if I'd been treated properly would it have you know would it have changed stuff mm. um, and actually now that I'm older I think well how would I have coped with being in pediatric intensive care for six months you know I don't know I don't know things just work out the way they work out but at the time I was furious like mm. really angry and and I just didn't know what to do with myself like I was a mum and I had no baby like, yeah yeah I mean, you you know how that is you know you're just yeah. I'm a mum 
Well, it's just heartbreaking, your, isn't it? Because where's your child? No one knows about it. No, no. I think the the more difficult it is is when you meet new people that yeah. have, have you got any after. kids? Yeah, and it's avoiding those questions, or you don't know how you're going to feel on the day whether you want to share everything or not anything at all. And you know, it's such a difficult because they don't know you're a completely different changed person I you know I can definitely say that's me now I can't even remember who I was before no my son now and I wouldn't want to know who that person was anymore because it wouldn't it's, it wasn't the real me I, I always say to myself but it's those questions that you don't know how to answer and stuff and you were doing it at 23 that's yeah. you know so yeah. difficult and then if you overshare, then you can see that the person's pure horrified. Yeah. Because usually the people that were asking me were young as well. You know, it's not like yeah. now we've all got a bit more understanding mm. of the world. You know, exactly. up until the point I had my son, I was still out clubbing. Do you know what I mean? You're like, mm. oh, what, did I, just, did I just go back out clubbing this weekend? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I should be at home with my baby. World. No, I can't be at home with my baby um yeah because he's not there and mm. yeah it was just and which is why I found it so more helpful to speak to families from self because yeah. you wouldn't need to hide anything you wouldn't need to yeah. you could talk about anything because you know they're going for exactly the same yeah. thing or have have done themselves so it's easier to to bond with them isn't it yeah. and just being able I think to talk about your child like yeah. not even just about how you're feeling, but be able to say things about your baby and without everybody pulling a face. Because my friends were great. I've had the same friends since we were at primary school. And they were mm. great. You know, they were so they really tried, but none of them had kids. And mm. none of them had have had had well, not many of them had had a big bereavement. And yeah. they all truly, they all they all came down from uni for the funerals and stuff, and they hung about and they came to visit and they like coped with me showing them pictures of my baby that had passed away which must be horrific when it's not your own baby and then of course I realized that wasn't really appropriate to show my photos to people but it isn't soft because we've all seen pictures of our each other's babies do you know what I mean yeah we're we're curious more than anything as well to see if there are any similar similarities with our babies because we see our babies as our babies but we never necessarily see the features and everything that comes associated with the condition first only until you see other pictures and you yeah, think, yeah. Oh, like, oh they're so alive my baby has that and that's right yeah so it is different it is but it is we, different um, but I think that's what makes your community much more tight-knit and yeah. um special it's, be- it's very rare to um well it's not so rare now but it was very rare at the time to have male survivors with Edward syndrome nearly mm. all the ones we had were girls so I never because a lot of people when they talk about coming to family days are like I don't know how I'll cope with seeing a child if they look like my child and mm. I never had to do that because they were all girls so it was fine mm. and then I think I must have been going to the family day for about six or seven years and we made a lovely wee boy in Scotland called Adam and my son's middle name was Adam and I'd never met them before and she wheeled her son in to the family day as like oh my god like yeah he's so like my son and I was like how old was he he was at, at the time I think he was about seven maybe 
So he was obviously mm. a lot bigger, but just the eyes and the hair and it's like, oh my God. And then I was like, yeah. is that what my son would have looked like if he'd survived? Yeah. You know? mm. And I thought, oh, now, think I know, that. now I know how everybody else feels. Because <laughs> with the <laughs> girls, there's so many girls that like you, you, yes. know, you always go to family day and there will always be a surviving child there who's a mm. girl. Um. And there, there are similar, not all the girls, but there are similarities between a lot of them. And I think it must be quite hard. And I've had families say that to me over the years that I've been supporting. We thought about coming to the family day and we couldn't because we thought it might be too hard. And that yeah. was the first time it had happened to me. And I was like, mm. so of course I went over and introduced myself and made friends with Because yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing you can do, isn't it? You're like, if I don't meet this head on, I'm not going to That's right. Yeah. And yeah, well, you've been with soft. You've been with soft for so many years now. How 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 have you seen the families that have come through evolved, or the challenges that you had? Have you seen some of that? Like, are, yeah. are you seeing that families still sort of talk about those sort of what barriers and was really upsetting for me? So a couple of years ago, um, when I was working for soft for a little while, we did the. The NIPT training programs in England and Wales. So we were training professionals how to talk to families when they receive a potential diagnosis or they're going for further testing for Edwards and Patties. Um, and it was amazing because we've been trying to get in to teach the NHS for as long as, I mean, before I was even involved with Soft, probably since it started. And we finally had our foot in the door and it was fantastic. And I was really lucky to do some of the roadshows up in Scotland with some of our families. And we'd been adamant from the start, we're taking the kids. Because I know there are still doctors out there who will say, oh, well, they don't survive, you know. And I said, we're taking the kids. Because you can't, if the child is there, you know, you can't deny that, that that's a surviving child. So we took the kids. Mm. Um, yeah. And it was really challenging because we had so many, I mean, it was brilliant and the kids were great. But we had so many doctors say to us, I didn't know this was possible. Mm. And at that point, so this this will be before COVID. So we're talking about 15 years on from when I lost my son. And we still mm. had heads of neonatal units saying to us, I didn't know this was possible. Yeah. And when you think of the implication of that on families that are experiencing pregnancy now, are they still being met with the same information that I was met with 20 years ago? You know, and that, I think, I think it's sad that so much has come on in medical care. So quite a lot of our children are now getting medical care, not as many of them as any of us would like, but they are receiving medical care. There's so many advancements now. They can be fed. They can, their breathing can be assisted. There's more advancements mm. in physio and communication devices, you know, that make their quality of life so much better mm. and, and make, you know, less of the medical issues for, for the kids. Um, but yet we're still not being honest during pregnancy yep. and letting families know that actually um, this is the reality and this is what the situation yep. is. Um, mm. And, yeah. Well, a big part of self now is changing that perception yeah. with the professional community. I think we've always had that gap to to fill, and you know, the, the only way we can do it is reaching out to them, yeah. whether it's like individually or as an association, and keep that message going that we are the charity that 
families like this can turn to and we can change their um, I think it was a opinion. huge result to get our stuff into their literature um, yeah, absolutely. you know because at least now every family knows about us you know whether mm. or not they pick up the phone is their choice but at least now every family knows that we're there um which yeah you know 20 years ago absolutely didn't happen it was just potluck that I had a midwife who mm. knew and then we had another case in the hospital we ended up both being pregnant at the same time so she was like six weeks less far on than me she had her baby in the August um and she was like this has like never happened before <laughs> we've had two pregnancies at the same time with the wow same really because we're a small hospital um and again the midwife was like do you two want to go for a coffee? And we were like, yes. <laughs> mm. um, you know, and uh, yeah, so we were really, really lucky, I suppose, from that point of view, because mm. then we then had each other. So we yes, were, exactly. I mean, I only met her maybe about six weeks before I lost my son. And then in a way that was tricky because my baby was already gone. And then she was like, oh God, is that going to happen to me too? You know, but mm. we did have each other and we, you know, we yes. could physically go for a coffee or like for yeah. each other or... Mm. Um, I feel like the families in Scotland, you know, they are so tight knit. However, they all do live quite far from each other. It's not possible to do that. So that's why these the these the Scottish Family Day especially means so much to them yeah. because it is the one time they can get together and catch up and not necessarily to share, you know, their past experiences. It's just to move yeah. forward and and see what people have been doing in their own lives going on and and building those you know that relationship and keep it going yeah I think the the Scottish soft has got I don't I think a lot of it you know is down to Liz over the years um and then I think mm. before her Duncan and Fiona um because she's just kept in touch with everyone so yeah. I mean my other kids so I've got three other kids now two boys um who have special needs they're adopted and then I had a little surprise <laughs> a little surprise girl um who just turned mm -hmm. seven um and my kids have grown up in soft you know my yeah I adopted my oldest son about four or five years after I'd lost Connor um and he's been coming to soft since he was two he's 18 now yeah. um and there's just something about, the, something about the Scottish families, um, the Scottish group, the way that they've sort of created that group and facilitated it and kept it all together. Um, it's great. Nobody ever seems to leave. Mm. <laughs> so even though I lost my son 20 years ago, um, I, I wouldn't miss it. Um, and there's no. everybody is together. So it's there's families with surviving children, there's families who had children who survived a really long time um, and then they lost them maybe in early adulthood, etc. Um, there's families who chose to end their own pregnancy. There's families who miscarried. There's families who had stillbirths like me. There's families who had babies that were lost in the first year. Um, we've got loads of surviving children, which is brilliant because it just lights mm. everybody up. But we've always all been together. There was never, yeah. I think, I don't know if it's a numbers thing because we're small in number, but we've always all been together. But there was never any kind of like, oh, all the bereaved people are this way and all the non-bereaved people yeah. are that way. You know, we've all, we're just like a big family. And yeah, Liz always kept in touch with people. So 
there's times in your life when you you might drift off for a bit if you've got really busy family life or if you're working too hard or or if you're just not in a great place and you're like I can't I can't deal with that kind of stuff at the moment and then you drift off for a bit but I think because she keeps in touch everybody always comes back so you might not be there every year and of course the thing like now with social media and stuff is that we are all in touch in between so it might just Mm. be a comment or happy birthday to someone or you know somebody sharing one of their child's achievements something they've done and we all comment or um or just dropping somebody a message if they don't if you haven't heard from them for a while and so we might not see them for two or three years especially over covid that's that was absolutely horrendous yeah Um, very very challenging but you still you know it still wouldn't if I needed them for something or if I wanted to offer a bit of support I wouldn't think twice about dropping them a message or a call or something Mm, um that's right because we just I don't know we just all feel like we know each other so well and the kids have all grown up yeah and the only thing lovely you summed it up well I think it is the personal touch that's kept it going from Liz and um and because of that all the all the members are happy to sort of stay in touch and yeah and continue being like a big Scottish family so and I think what's nice about it is as well which is it can be a real danger when you've got a small group it's not at all cliquey so new people come and they're just sucked into it all um, and they just become part of it and then with you know the next Mm -hmm. time they're just part of it and I think because I think that's always other charities I've worked for or groups that I've run locally it is always a bit of a danger when you have create a really close-knit group that they're cliquey yeah. um, mm. and it's not a bad thing it's just people get comfortable with who yeah, they yeah. know and then it becomes too much of an effort and it's just never been like that I think I think Liz and Laura and I as well um, do a lot of groundwork for people so if there's mm. new people come in, some of us will know that there's a new person come in and know, you know, enough to go and give them a, a bit more. more time and stuff, and yeah, yeah, and welcome them in much more. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great thing to. That's I think that's a great way of, of um sort of holding these family days as well for people to know that they can be part of this sort of community and they sort of are with a you know, they and they can be as vol- as involved in it as as much as they want. Come and go. Yeah. Exactly. You can come and go, and it'll still be there in the background. And um, because we've had periods like I went abroad for a while, um, and then when the kids were little, sometimes like the boys were in the night with hospital quite a bit, and it was a bit tricky sometimes to get there. And and obviously the people with surviving children quite often have that. You know, the night before one of them gets the flu, or you know they can't mm-hmm. they can't make it. Um, but yeah. then of course now with like Zoom and stuff, you know, some of them like Libby last year zoomed in and stuff, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they could still, they could still take part. Yeah, ways of keeping people involved. Well, I think that's a lovely way to probably round off the podcast. Otherwise, we'll we'll be we, we <laughs> could we could gush about it for for hours, couldn't we? But if there's anyone listening, then we'll um the next Scottish Family Day is going to be on the 16th of September. There's still um spaces available, so you're more than welcome to come and join this special, unique family um as Demi's described it thank you so much for joining us today Demi and um, sharing your your story and your insight into what it's been like being soft UK it's great to hear from someone who's been with soft UK for so many years and and it's a great credit to know that you know people can still stick around with the 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 charity for as long as they want to or however long they need to so um yeah thank you for that 
Um, and I'll, I'll just finish off by saying if you're an expectant parent, a bereaved parent, family member or professional, you need support or information from SOFT, we're always here for you. Reach out to the SOFT team, contact details are on the website um, and um, can also be found in the podcast blurb that will be posted with this. Thanks again, Demi, for your time and we look forward to the next podcast. Thank you.